Okay, um, imagine this. You have just got a leading role in a major production. There are only a few leading roles and you got one. Yes. Okay, you're excitedly, you get the script, you flick through it, you flick through it again, you check the front page, have I got the right script? And to your horror, you discover you are a leading role, but you actually don't get one line in the whole production. Not one, nothing. And that is kind of like our leading guy this morning, Joseph, the, the um, husband of Mary. He is a prominent figure in the Christmas story, except can you quote any line from him? Not one. He doesn't get one line in the whole Bible um, dedicated to him. And I find it very interesting to note that someone who is such a key figure in the greatest story that human, humankind could ever hear is that we only know what he did, not what he said. And his story is only recorded in one gospel. It is the gospel of Matthew and we're afforded the pleasure of hearing the Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph. We are only working with eight verses of Scripture this morning regarding Joseph. And let me tell you, it is enough. I had to cull my message down from 34 minutes for you this morning. Um, so we're, we're in the time zone, don't worry. But it is an absolutely radical message. Eight verses that is completely life-changing. Eight verses that alter the course of your life if you choose to believe it. And if you're a believer today, the Christmas story should surge electricity through your very soul. And if it doesn't, perhaps you need to ask yourself, why? Why? I was, um, we've recently moved house uh, and we stayed in the same suburb. People say, where did you move? I say, oh, about a kilometre down the road. Um, but we were in Wall's End and we still live in Wall's End. And this morning, we've very recently moved into the, this house. I was getting ready for church and I heard church bells. And I've lived in Wall's End for three years. I've never heard church bells. And the Lord just kind of challenged me about the Christmas story and he, it kind of prompted me as I heard these church bells to think, I am in the same location, but in a different position, and so I'm hearing something different. And in the same way about the Christmas story, it's the same story, guys. It's the same story. But perhaps if you change your heart posture or position, you'll hear something different this morning, and it will surge life through your very being. And if you're a non-believer in here this morning, I am so glad you're here. I really am so glad you're here. I'm so glad that I'm going to ask you not to be passive for the next 20 minutes or so, but I'm going to ask you to engage with a question as I speak. And the question is this, do I believe the Christmas story? Is, do I believe this? What, what is she saying? Do I believe this? Because the answer to that question will change the trajectory of your life for the rest of your life. So with our eyes open and our hearts ready, let's read this short account found in Matthew 1. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If not, it will be on the screen. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. His mother Mary had promised Joseph to be his wife, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Her fiancé, Joseph, was a righteous man, full of integrity, and he didn't want to disgrace her, but when he learned of her pregnancy, he secretly planned to break up the engagement. While he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Saviour, Jesus, for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, which was said, Listen, a virgin will be pregnant. She will give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us. When Joseph woke from his dream, he did all that the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. He took Mary to be his wife, but they refrained from having sex until she gave birth to her firstborn son, whom they named Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray for every heart and our spiritual eyes and ears that we would, uh, they would be opened to the truth. Lord, that we would be awed and overwhelmed by your love and kindness again this morning. Do not let us miss a thing. Father, I pray over the atmosphere against distractions. I pray for a reverence for your word, that we honor your name and the living word before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This sermon will be broken down into three categories. If you're a person who likes to know where we're going, this is where we're going. Uh, Number one, a promise for the weary. Number two, a picture of love. And number three, a problem we have. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to go with the logical way and start from the top. A promise from the, for the weary. If you were here last week, as Beachy mentioned before, Ree spoke to us about Mary, the unexpected gift of Christmas. And this week, I am speaking about Joseph, the inconvenient gift of Christmas. Now, you might be thinking, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. Where's the jovial spirit, the joy? Well... Us as a teaching team, what we didn't want to do is get to the end of the year and enter this Christmas season and just act like life's perfect because it's Christmas. We don't want to uh, enter the Christmas season with blind naivety that somehow because it's Christmas, it's perfect. And you may have gotten to the end of the year this year. Perhaps it was the end of the year. Perhaps it's been the last few months or the last year could be longer. And you have this deep sense where you think it wasn't meant to be like this. I thought it would go differently to this. Perhaps there's a heartbreak in your season or you thought you might have been married by now. You hope that child would have come by now or that loss has taken you by surprise or you thought that estranged family member would have come home. You thought something different would be different in your career. Whatever it is, there is no denying you can't help but think when your season, it wasn't meant to be like this. It's not what I hoped for. Well, you can take heart this morning because the first Christmas had that sentiment all over it. Mary and Joseph experienced a whole season of it was not meant to be like this. 
And as we read their story, this miracle of Jesus actually caused their world to be completely turned upside down and not in the, wow, this is great way. It was in the way where it takes guts and heartache and courage and bravery to walk out the obedience they said yes to. And it's so easy for us to forget that Mary and Joseph were real people. Kind of like celebrities. We know they're real, but are they? And we've read their story over and over. We kind of forget that these were two teenage Jewish kids in love about to be married. Joseph was a young Jewish carpenter. They lived uh, in a, and we find their story in this beautiful time of betrothal, which is a 12-month period where they have had a ceremony, where they've entered into a contractual agreement with one another, where all the commitments of marriage remain, except for 12 months around about, they don't live with each other and they don't sleep with each other. But make no mistake, these two young Jewish kids... They were planning for their future. They were excited about what, they were, what the season they were going into. Maybe the family they would build, maybe the carpentry business, where they might live, what life was going to look like together. Their hopes were high. They were in a season of great anticipation. The same way if a young couple in our church today came in and said, we're engaged, we would rally and be so excited for them. That is exactly what was happening for Joseph and Mary. And right in the middle of their betrothal, Gabriel, the angel, comes down and announces to Mary that she would conceive a child through the Holy Spirit. He'd be the saviour of the world and she was to name him Jesus. And right in the middle of this, Joseph is still in the dark. The biblical timeline suggests that Mary hears the news and then she leaves. So she's heard the news, the spirit, she conceives, and then she goes away for three months to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. Most scholars suggest that it wasn't until after Mary returns with a tiny little baby bump does Joseph hear the news. Now, I was talking with my husband the other night about the probability and believability of this situation. And he, he said to me, Jess, if this was us, I would not need one angel. I would need two angels on separate occasions so I know you didn't spike my drink. <laughs> he was very serious about it. And if you think it is hard to believe the virgin birth story... You know who it was harder for? <laughs> Old Joey. Can you imagine the conversation between them? She's returned from her trip. There would have been such fury, betrayal, anger, real emotions from a real young man who's committed himself to this woman. He knows she's really pregnant and he knows it's really not his. The embarrassment he would have to tell his family and his friends. And then on the other hand, the confusion from Mary after seeing his reaction. Has God not told him? She's, she, she's alone and in fear and, and she knows a real possibility if, if this divorce goes through, she could die. 
It was an understatement to say that this miracle was inconvenient for them. And that it felt like it wasn't meant to go like this. But it didn't stop there. After their yeses to the Lord, nothing about the birth kind of went to plan how you would plan it. To be left without a room, to be birthing a baby into an animal's manger. None of it is meant to go like that. But from the moment that Jesus was born, King Herod wanted him killed. And so Joseph has a new bride and a newborn baby and the powers at be want him dead. And a devastating decree is declared across the land that every two-year-old boy must be killed. There is, this is not the way it was meant to be. There is devastation and absolute evil and heartbreak in this story. And you can forgive Joseph for thinking, my first year of marriage, my wife, it wasn't meant to go like this. But what looked like, what, but because it didn't look like their plan, doesn't mean God wasn't working his purpose. Proverbs 19.21 says this, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And in a situation that looked like Mary had been unfaithful, it was just God being faithful to his word. And what was unfolding is not a plan gone awry, but actually 700 years of prophecy was being fulfilled in this young Jewish couple's yes. And the word for the weary this morning is this, church. Your story may not be recorded in the pages of Scripture, but a God who meticulously knit you together, who created you for a purpose and on purpose has not forgotten you. And you might be in, right in the season of, it wasn't meant to be like this. This isn't what I hoped. Maybe you were hoping that sickness would be over by now or the pain would have left or you might have found your spouse by now. The word for this morning for those who are weary in the waiting is the same word that he spoke to a young Jewish couple. It is the same word he's been speaking from Isaiah to the apostles in Acts. It is this, do not yield to fear. For the Lord your God is with you. Isaiah 41, 13, I am Yahweh, your mighty God. I grip your right hand and I won't let go. I whisper to you, don't be afraid. I'm here. If you are weary this morning, do not yield to fear. The Lord God is with you. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. And he is for you. A word for the weary. A picture of love. Did anyone notice the way that Matthew described Joseph? He described him as a righteous man. An interesting choice of words for a guy who was living in a time that ascribed different levels of righteousness to how well you kept the law. You kept the law really well, really righteous. And you let everybody know about it. But here he's described as righteous and the, and the law that was set out in Deuteronomy was actually this. It said Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 to 24 says this. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, 
Sounds a lot like Mary. And a man finds her in the city and lies with her. You, you, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. That's the law. In fact, Deuteronomy said, you'd be getting rid of the evil among you. What a noble thing. Surely a righteous man like Joseph would have followed this law to the T. And yet he didn't do that. It says because he was righteous, he wanted to deal with it quietly. Because he loved her, he wanted to choose grace and cover her condition and and not bring her shame. Which signals to me the very reason that God chose Joseph to step into that fatherly role on earth for his one and only son. Because I have one daughter who I am obsessed with. I don't have more than I'm not obsessed with. I just have one. I have one daughter, and if I was writing a will, you know what I would write for someone who is going to take care of her or take my role? I'd want to pick someone who would love her the way I loved her. I'd want her, I'd want to pick somebody who had the same values as I had. I'd want to pick somebody who, who would teach her to live and act in the way that reflected my heart. And what we see here is that God has done just that in choosing Joseph. Because when faced with the perceived unfaithfulness of his bride, we see Joseph not choose judgment, but grace where the law demanded death. And this church is a picture of the love that Christ has for us. But it is just a shadow of what Jesus did for us. Because when it comes to us, when it comes to you and I, we weren't just perceived to be guilty, we were guilty. And we weren't just perceived to be unfaithful, we were unfaithful. We are the bride who has loved other gods and idols and ambitions and passions. We're the ones who have turned our backs on God time and time again. We are the ones who are drunk on the vices of the world, chasing fame and likes and money and power and status and a body type and followers and relationship statuses. And yet in his unquenchable love, God chooses grace for us. And God chooses forgiveness and he chooses to cover our iniquities so that we would become the bride without spot and without blemish, that we would be the perfect bride for our bridegroom, Jesus. But it came at a cost. While God's grace covered our sin, his judgment still needed payment. And so we see the bridegroom, Jesus, come flying through the cosmos and emptying himself of his divinity and humbly put on flesh and become the most vulnerable thing, a baby born in a manger whose life from the very get-go was under attack. He He was entrusted to the hands of two unwed teenage parents. And he lived a sinless life and died a brutal criminal's death, murdered by the people he came to save. Here we see Joseph is just a shadow of what Jesus did in coming to earth for us. He made a way that every sin, every failure, and every awful last part of ourselves would be washed away. Completely and utterly clean by the blood of Jesus. That is a radical, shoot life through your veins story, church. That is the gospel. 
It's a picture of love. And so, if we have a picture of love, you might be asking, well, what's the problem? What's a problem we have? Well, ask most people what they think Christmas means. Surely you have something that just came to your head. Don't shout at me. Usually, if somewhere in there, if they think about it, they will mention some sentiment of peace. Peace between mankind, peace on earth. We sing about it, we hope for it, it's on our Christmas cards. And we're told that Jesus came to bring peace. But the problem we are faced with is, if Jesus came to bring peace on earth, did he fail? Is he not good at his job? Because if you look around, he came 2,000 years ago. That's a lot of time to get that peace plan going. But there is conflict everywhere we turn. We hear it on a major scale every single day. But not just that, there's, there is conflict within our families, within our relationship. There's conflict in our hearts, in our minds. The, the lack of peace across the earth, if you just look around, it's almost palpable. So what happened? Did Jesus fail to bring peace? Well, let's have a look. If peace on earth between all mankind, if that's his goal, peace on earth between all mankind, then yes, mission failed. Is there peace on earth between all mankind? No. But that's not the peace Jesus came to bring. Without doubt, if you're a believer in here today, we are called to be peacemakers. And we are commanded at all costs that we would strive for peace with people. But that is not the peace that Jesus purchased for us. Well, perhaps it's not ex external. Maybe it's an internal peace, you think. Is peace in our heart and peace in our minds? Is that the peace Jesus came to purchase? Again, whilst knowing Jesus and loving Jesus brings an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of peace within a peace in our hearts and in our minds, it's still subject to fluctuation. If we're honest with ourselves, it can go up, it can go down, it can, it can be shaken sometimes, but we're told that Jesus purchased a perfect peace. And so if it wasn't external peace and internal peace that he came to purchase, the question is, well, what kind of peace did Jesus purchase with his life? Was it a wasted sacrifice? But the peace Jesus came to bring was not external or just internal. It was a reconciliation between us and God. A peace that reconciles sinners to God, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And that peace, that peace that he purchased with his blood is not subject to degrees. It is a perfect peace. And if it's perfect, it can't get more perfect. And if it's paid in full, it can't, nothing can be added to it. When he said it is finished, the peace between God and mankind was finished for good. He made a way for sinners to be reconciled for, to God. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were God's enemies, we weren't just 
kind of good people who needed a little step up. We weren't just kind of on board with God, but we needed Jesus. We were his enemies, hostile towards him. But even while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, the inconvenient gift of Christmas for us is that we cannot sanitize this Christmas story away. We must look at full in the face and either admit that we were an enemy of God, completely hostile towards him, and we needed a savior. We could not do anything to save ourselves, or we deny it and we say it's not true. There is no middle ground. 1 Timothy 2 verses 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Church, we were so far from redemption that the Son of God had to put on flesh and enter the earth he created. He had to humble himself to become a child that the uncontainable one chose to be contained by flesh so that he could live and die in our place. So often we say Jesus is the reason for the season. Church, that's not, that's not entirely true. You're the reason for the season. He didn't have to come unless he loved you. John 3, 16, a classic. God so loved the world that he came. The reason we have Christmas today, the reason he broke out of heaven and humbled himself to come to earth, it's not just because he wanted to, it's because of you. He loved you. So we can look at all of this, this Christmas story, and we can either say one of two options, yes, I believe, or it can't be true. It's impossible. Even if what you're saying, Jess, sounds so good, my logic and science tells me that's, that's impossible. Well, the author and speaker, Glenn Scrivener, says this, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. Choose your miracle as the band comes, thanks. And to that I say, if everything came from nothing, if it's just a virgin birth of the universe and everything came from nothing, then that's it. That's it. But if everything came not from something but someone, it would explain this deep desire in the human soul for peace. It would explain this ache that humanity aches for, for peace. C.S. Lewis says it like this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world could satisfy the most probable explanation is that we were not, that is that we were made for another world. And church, that ache for peace has a remedy. And that remedy has a name. That name is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. God is not against us.
God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life.